You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. All right. Hey, if you are uh, visiting with us tonight, and uh, if you're new with us, my name's Joe. On behalf of everybody else here, we'd like to just say welcome. We're glad that you're here, stoked that you're visiting, hope you keep coming back. Uh, Brandon mentioned there's a visitor card back there. Please fill one of those out before you take off this evening so we can do what Brandon said, holy stalking. That's what I came up with, <laughs> holy stalking on Facebook and other things. So make sure you fill one of those out so we can try to follow up with you, kind of get to know you, know who you are. Hey, let's, uh, let's pray before we go to work on this text, okay? Father, thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to come and to preach your word this evening. Thank you for the, for the immense opportunity and privilege that it is for all of us to gather together, to dig into your word, to hear from it, to hear from you. God, I pray and I ask, God, that you would be uh, just right here among us, that your spirit would, would have no inhibitions to move, that there would be uh, no reservations among us, that you would just, by the power of your spirit, open our hearts to understand your word, to hear from you, and I pray, God, that you would just illuminate this text for us, I mean, shine a light right on it, and in doing so, God, I pray that you would shine a light deep into our hearts uh, and just reveal, like, desires and uh, uh, desires, Lord God, that uh, maybe are opposite of what you would uh, want from us. Also, please, God, encourage through your spirit and comfort through your spirit those desires uh, deep within us that are just planted from you. I pray that you would strengthen those roots, rip out old, implant the gospel in the midst of our preaching time and our study of the scriptures. I pray, God, that you would change even just the way that we think about this topic of money. Help us to think in a way that you think. I know that the scriptures say that your thoughts are, are high above ours, and who can understand your your thoughts. Help us to understand your thoughts through the power of the Holy Spirit this evening. And then, God, finally, I pray that you would help this series and help this text and help us then to just kind of mesh together and then just change the behavior and the activity of our lives. So, God, I pray that and I trust you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Some of my favorite movies. <clears throat> based on the J.R. Tolkien movies, uh, books, The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, Big Beards, Long Pipes, Giant Mugs of Ale, epic battle scenes between good and evil, fierce dwarves, elves that can shoot at freaky fast speeds and have super amazing um, uh, accuracy. Warriors from the race of men who are strong and powerful. And then, of course, the little funny guys with the hairy feet called hobbits, right? And throughout that series of, of those six movies, and I just recently got to watch all of them kind of in a row over the holiday season and just loved it immensely. But throughout that series of six movies, we are introduced to a character that you probably see on the screens uh, behind me. This dude's name is Smeagol. Smeagol is a hobbit that found a ring that held uh, this superpower that was way beyond his greatest dreams and fears. This ring captivated it, him. It captured him. He could not get away from it. In fact, so much so that it became his treasure and he actually referred to it as his precious. 
super creepy voice, he would say, My precious, my precious. As time went on for him, as the sickness of that rain began to infect him deeply, he began to change into this really dark and kind of deformed creature, right? You can kind of see some of the movements of uh, his beginnings and his end, so to speak, uh, from the pictures on the screen. Uh, even his name changed from Smeagol to Gollum, and at times uh, he, he would lose track of his identity even and then begin talking to himself about himself um, in, in really weird voices, and we refer to himself in, in plural language like we and us. Like it hurts us. I mean, just really creepy as this character of Gollum and Smeagol begin to get mashed together, and then he basically just is transformed before our eyes from uh, this little kind-looking little hobbit who's fishing in a boat in the, in the first movie to the very end where he's this really deformed-looking creature who's eating raw fish with nasty-looking teeth, and then falls off a cliff holding that ring in his hand. It ultimately, the power of that ring, his precious, this thing that he was so in love with, this thing that he was completely devoted to, wound up killing him in reality. The end of the movie. He'd become his boss. He'd become his master, so to speak. He'd completely master him. He could think of nothing else but the power and the beauty of that ring treasured that rain so much. He had his eyes focused on that rain so much. He was willing to serve that rain as his master to the extent that it eventually cost him the complete and utter ruin and destruction of his life. These stories from Tolkien remind us of this one single truth. Your treasure is what you fix your eye upon, and what you fix your eye upon becomes your master. Treasure is whatever you fix your eye upon and what your eye is fixated upon becomes your master. Matthew 6, 19-24 says this. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where Thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. To ask yourself this question. What do I treasure? It's one of the first questions that Jesus wrestles through in the text. What do you treasure? It has been said that our bank accounts and our credit card statements and our debit card statements actually say an awful lot about what we each treasure. The cars we drive clothes we wear, the houses we live in, prove that we treasure oftentimes our social status. The amount of money we hold in our bank accounts proves that we oftentimes treasure our financial status. Oftentimes the way we spend our money proves whether we treasure God or not. 
And it's not wrong to have good cars and fine houses and to wear good clothes. It's not wrong to have money in savings. It's not wrong to spend money on your credit card or your debit card. But Jesus is drawing our attention in this passage to the truth that if our pursuit of earthly belongings and wealth is just a means to the end of gaining more earthly belongings and wealth than we do, in fact, treasure earthly things and wealth. We treasure money. If we see money and the pursuit of money and the gaining of money as yet another way of pursuing more money and gaining more money and getting more money and getting more things, then we are, in fact, in love and treasuring earthly things. Look at verse 19 again. Notice what Jesus says about where we shouldn't store our treasure. Jesus tells us that we should not lay up for ourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If if we treasure earthly belongings and wealth, we will be devastated. We'll be devastated when those things are destroyed or Stolen. If we, if we treasure earthly belongings and wealth, we will inevitably feel depressed, hopeless when those things are in danger of being destroyed or stolen, when those things are in danger of being taken away. <coughs> Remember when I was younger, I grew up in a very poor home with very little. My shoes got a hole in them. We didn't go out and buy new shoes. We Use duct tape to repair the shoes because we couldn't afford to buy new ones. When our family would go to McDonald's, my sister and I would split a double cheeseburger and a small Coke because we couldn't afford to get a Happy Meal. We didn't have a color TV. We didn't have a cable or a satellite dish. New clothes for us basically consisted of hand-me-downs from relatives or hand-me-downs from our friends. Or at best, this was really exciting for us, we would go to the Goodwill store and shop there. Still shop there. We drove 15 to 20-year-old vehicles that were most of the time in need of tons of repair and didn't have air conditioning. We didn't have... Uh, uh, central heat or central air in our home. We heated our home with a wood-burning stove, and to cool the house, we would open the windows and turn on fans for uh, air movement. A lot of amenities and a lot of comforts that I grew up without, and so I understand what it means to go without. This environment for me would have been a really great place for me to grow and to learn and to understand what it looks like and what it means and, and what, it, what it's like to live content. But instead, for me, instead of contentment growing deep within the roots of the soil of my heart, something else began to grow. It was a root of greed. I began to covet and be greedy towards what other people's had that I didn't have that I always wanted and that I thought would uh, bring me comfort. I longed for the comfort that I thought that only money and physical possessions or earthly possessions could actually buy. I I believed that I would find joy and happiness in the things that I could get that I always longed to have. (coughs) I remember growing up, there were some friends of mine that had the original Nintendo. Have you ever play on the original Nintendo, the original Super Mario Brothers. You had to, you had to lift the, the door open and blow the cassette out to stick it in there. 
And sometimes just when you thought you were going to beat that level, the game would freeze. <laughs> You'd be cussing it like wanting to hit it. I had a friend of mine that had one of those, and I always wanted one. I still never had one of those. Always wanted one. I remember dreaming about getting one of those Nintendos. It was the only thing I could think about was getting one of those Nintendos. Greed and covetousness had begun to take root in my heart in ways that I didn't even understand or realize. I began to dream about a new life. I began to dream about a new life with a Nintendo in it because my current life did not have that Nintendo and it's all I could think about was getting out of this life that I was in and getting into a new life where I would find joy and happiness and contentment and comfort. That was the life I began to dream about, about a new life with better earthly belongings and wealth. I began to treasure what Jesus says will eventually get destroyed and come into ruin or even get stolen. When I couldn't have, when I couldn't have those things, when I couldn't get what I wanted and what I treasured and what I was dreaming about and what I longed for, or maybe when those things got destroyed or stolen, then I would live in despair, depression, and hopelessness. And look at, look at verse 20 again with me. And notice what Jesus says about where we should store up our treasure. Jesus says that the way that we combat or make war against uh, treasuring earthly belongings or storing up treasure on earth is to lay up treasure for ourselves in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. The question we have to ask ourselves as we read this is, how, how do we store up treasure in heaven? How do we do this? How do we hoard up treasure for ourselves in heaven? If our, if our natural bent, if our natural tendency is to use earthly belongings and, and earthly wealth as means of investing in, uh, in, 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 in earthly things and getting more wealth, then how do we repent of that kind of sin and begin to see our belongings here on earth and our wealth here on earth, our money here on earth as a means of investing in heaven where the return on that investment is eternal nature. Let me ask yourself these questions. Like when you spend money on your home, when you spend money on your home, is, is, is your motivation deep down inside, is the motivation a desire to have a nicer home simply, or is it to have the ability to fellowship with Christian friends? Do you see your home as like an extension of God's kingdom like right here on earth? where you can invite maybe non-believing friends to come and to hang with you, where they can maybe experience in, in, in a physical locale what it is and what it means to be around others who love Jesus. Do you see your home as a, like a gospel-centered space and a sacred place maybe uh, for others around you who do not believe in Jesus or have heard the gospel message or have not surrendered their lives, do you see your home as a space and a place where they can then maybe uh, brush up against the gospel, see the gospel lived out in action through your 
uh, life? Like, is your car just a means of transportation for you, or, or do you find yourself thinking about the next car you want to buy in terms of, hey, how can I use this car to serve other people around me who may be less fortunate than me? When you're purchasing clothing, do you, do you just purchase clothing with this thought in mind, man, that thing's going to make me look sexy? Like it, it, or maybe when I get those clothes, I'm going to be just as cool as this person because they've got it, or I just think it looks cool. And maybe that's where you're at when you're buying clothes, and maybe, maybe this message and this passage would help all of us to maybe repent of that and turn from that and become people who maybe when we buy clothing even, we would see that as an extension of God's grace towards us in a way that we can cover our bodies modestly, right? Maybe we could just see it that way. And do your spending habits, what do your spending habits communicate about you? Do your spending habits communicate generosity and investment in the mission of the local church and maybe the advancement of the gospel across the world? Like how many, how many missionaries could you be supporting, not only just locally here in our community, but across the world as well? If you look back at verse 21, notice what Jesus then says about our hearts and our treasure as we, as we wrestle with these kinds of questions deep within our hearts and as we wrestle with the desires of our hearts and the, and the activity of, of how we think and desire and then act upon our money. As you look at verse 21, Jesus says something about our hearts and our treasure. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We talked a lot last week about the heart as we came down to the end of week one, right? Well, when Jesus in this week, when he says this, he's basically telling us to examine what we treasure, He's, he's inviting us to examine the soil of our hearts, much like somebody who wants to replant their front yard. You might need to go out and till up the front yard a bit. We've done that a few times at our home because our front yard sucks when it comes to growing grass. And so we've had to till that thing up and rake that thing up and, and, uh, and, and examine the soil and, and then try to get nutrients into it and then re- try to replant new seeds so the new grass would grow like almost every year for the last four years and, and we're terrible at it. Like we're just terrible at it. And this is a great analogy for where our hearts are at. Oftentimes what the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants to dive in with the rake and start raking things around inside of your heart so that you can kind of get a grasp of what it is that you really and truly and authentically treasure deep down inside of you. The reality is this. The reality is that those who do not believe in Jesus do not treasure things in heaven. Just think about that. People who don't love Jesus, people who don't believe in Jesus, people who have never surrendered to the message of the gospel, which says that Jesus came to save you, died upon a cross so that the, the penalty for our sins can be paid. People who don't believe in him do not live for heaven because they don't believe in heaven. People who do not believe in Jesus and in eternal things are living for what is right in front of them. Do not treasure heaven because they cannot treasure what they do not believe in. But people who do believe in Jesus do treasure heaven simply because they've been given new hearts that are being renewed in the gospel. They're being renewed to treasure something new. 
As, as Christians, we are being given, we've been given new hearts and we're being transformed daily. Our hearts are being changed so that we continue to repent of believing in earthly things. And then we begin to believe more in the things of Christ. We begin to treasure Christ more than earthly things. That's the reality of the story of a Christian. If you're a believer here, then your hope is continually being set upon Christ and the hope of heaven. You hope for a new life. You hope for a new life that is to come. We groan and we struggle in this life because of the mark of mess and sin and brokenness. Because of that mark, we struggle in this life and we look forward to a new life in heaven. And you might be here and you may be a Christian, you may believe in Jesus, but you may still struggle, struggle with treasuring earthly things rather than heavenly things. We all struggle from time to time. It's part of the sanctification process, which in, in, in shorter words, rather than using the word sanctification, I would just say the growth in holiness. When God saves you, when you surrender to him, when you believe in him, then there, the process begins where he begins to change you slowly but surely, step by step, inch by agonizing, by agonizing, by agonizing inch sometimes as he grows you and changes you. That's sanctification. He's growing you to become holy as he is holy so that then you and I as Christians can be the reflection or mirror image of him on the earth so that when others see us, they say, hey, there is no hope in this life and there's somebody who's found hope somewhere else. I, I want to know more. It's, it's in a sense to make people thirsty by the way that we live to cause them to thirst by the things that they see in our lives but we will struggle as as God renews us and I like my encouragement for us to be this like ask God to renew your heart and if you're here and you don't believe in him and you've never surrendered to him I my hope is that somehow the Holy Spirit would speak to you in the midst of this message and the study of this text and that you would say you know what I've been I've been living for everything that is right in front of me, and all this is going to go away someday. All this is going to go away someday. I've been treasuring what's right in front of me, and something is happening inside of me. I, I want to hope in something that's real. Everything that you and I see in front of us, it may look, taste, touch, real. Smell. It's not real. It's not eternal. It's going to go away someday. The only thing that you can see in front of you that is eternal is other people. And there is an eternity space, eternal space and place that we will all reside at some point in time or another. And the encouragement of this text is not to treasure things in front of us unless they are of eternal value. And then at that point to invest in them in such a way that we are then storing up treasure in heaven. And ask God to help you treasure Christ. Ask him to renew your heart. Ask him to help you believe in the work that Christ has done. When your treasure is what you fix your eye upon, and what your eye is fixed upon becomes your master. What are your eyes fixed upon as you think about this portion of the text in verses 22 and 23? What are your eyes fixed upon? What are you focused upon? What has gotten your attention? People say, people say that the eyes are the windows to the soul. In other words, you can tell the condition or the health of someone's heart and soul by what their eye is fixated upon. 
Jesus says the same thing in verses 22 to 23 when he says this. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. In other words, Jesus is simply saying to us that we need to examine what our eyes are focused upon. What are you looking at? What is your eye stuck on that you can't get your eye off of? We need to ask ourselves, we need to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to us and to examine us and to examine what we are fixated upon. Are we fixated upon things of the light or things of darkness? Things that make us healthy or unhealthy, good or evil. What is your eye focused upon? That's the major question of the second portion of this text. Think with me for a moment. Think with me for a moment about the hope of unbelief. If you're hearing this and you have not placed your hope and your trust in Christ to save you from the consequences and the power of your sin, then your hope, again, is only only in the things of this world that you can see which will fade away into darkness and destruction. If you're not trusting in Christ to prepare for you a new home for you in heaven where there will be no more tears and no more mourning and no more pain and no more sin, then you're merely trusting in the hope and the joy of things that are fading into ruin, which means that your hope and your joy will fade into ruin and destruction as well. <coughs> think, think also with me. Think about what believers think about for a minute. Think about what believers think about. Catch that? I think that's kind of good. Think about what believers think about. And if you're hearing this and you're a believer in Christ... If you're hearing this and all you ever think about is like that next purchase or that next home remodel or that next pay increase, then aren't you and I, if that's where we're at, aren't we then no different than the unbelieving world around us? <coughs> and we live in a time when good is called evil and evil is called good, where darkness is celebrated as light, where light is rejected as being evil. Yet we who believed in the gospel are called to think and to live differently. We're called to think and live differently if we believed in the gospel. We who've placed our hope in Jesus, who is the light of the world, we, we are called to be shining lights of the gospel through the mountaintops of our lives. That means we stand on the mountaintop of our lives and we scream a message with our lives. And what is the message that you and I scream with our lives? Is it a message of belief or unbelief? Is it trust or untrust? What is the message that your life preaches? We are to be shining lights of the gospel through the mountaintops of our lives in a dark and twisted world, in a, in a time and in a season where good is called evil and evil is called good. Also think about this. <clears throat> think, about, think about how what you believe because of what you see. Think, think, think of, think of how, how you believe things because of what you see. Hopefully this is beginning to resonate. Think of how when you look at something, you begin to believe something because of what you've seen. Seeing is 
believing, right? We've all heard that phrase or that term, seeing is believing. Every time, think about every time that you or I watch a movie or see a commercial on TV or look at an advertisement on a billboard, somebody, somebody is trying to sell us something. Someone is trying to make us believe something. They're trying to make it believable, right? What are they trying to sell us? What pictures are they painting for us to look at? Just think about the time you spend watching TV or the advertisements you hear on the radio or the things you see with your eyes. What pictures are being painted for you to look at? What, what do the stories within those pictures and those advertisements make you think about or suggest that you then believe? Advertisements are, in fact, attempting to convince us of a few things. Let me think about it this way. Advertisements are attempting to convince us that the way that we are currently living is not good enough and that we need something better. That our current financial or material position is less than acceptable. Look at yourself in your old car. Now see your, yourself in this new car. See your future self in this car. Isn't that what you want? Look at yourself in that old house. Look at yourself in that old house and maybe, maybe envision yourself in a preferable future in a newly remodeled home. Look at yourself in comparison maybe with the guy who makes better money than you. And maybe see yourself in a better place with a bigger paycheck. <coughs> All of these messages are preaching the same message. Trying to get you and I to believe that the hell we're currently living in sucks and that there's a better heaven for us right here on earth if we just put our faith in the almighty dollar, spent some, and got a new life. And what are your eyes fixed upon? If your eye is the window of your soul, then what is the condition of your soul right now in these moments in, in regards to your fixation on money and material wealth? Do you have a healthy picture painted in your mind's eye of how money and material wealth are meant to advance the kingdom of God? Do you have that picture? Or maybe do you have a picture in your mind's eye of how money and material wealth are actually meant to advance your own personal kingdom? What picture are you looking at? Your kingdom or God's kingdom? Are, are, are you hoping that, that the money that you have and the wealth that you're trying to attain would advance God's kingdom? Or are you just severely focused on this other picture of advancing your kingdom? <coughs> what are you willing to sacrifice? Ask that question. What, what are you willing to sacrifice for your preferred picture of heaven because here's the thing if, like if you love money if your treasure is in money if your eye is focused on money for the sake of money and more material gain you will give anything to get more you will give you will sacrifice anything to get more it's a false gospel that we are that, that someone is trying to get us to believe right 
Like, like if the gospel message teaches us in this very basic and simple fashion that, that, that Jesus came and paid the ultimate price and wrote the big fat check for each of us so that we could be saved, so that we could be released from the living hell that we're in and the living hell that we're headed to, if that's the truth and, that that, then, and then what he gives us is this new place in heaven with him, then the false message is always being sold to us by the media and the world around us is, hey, Hey, your life sucks right now. You should sacrifice a little of this to get a little bit of that. You should give up a little bit of this so that you can have this new life, the new life that you always wanted. What are you willing to sacrifice for your preferred picture of heaven to come true? What longings or cravings? You think about cravings, right? (coughs) A cheeseburger tastes better to a starving man than a banquet tastes to a wealthy man. Cheeseburger tastes better to a starving man than a banquet tastes to a wealthy man. I wonder how much you and I get our eyes fixed upon money. I wonder how much you and I get ourselves to that place where we're just treasuring earthly things. No matter how much we consume, will never taste good enough. Will never taste good enough. Because it's like eating at a banquet as wealthy people. We're not that hungry. It's a false gospel that never produces the joy and the hope and the contentment, and the happiness and the life that you really thought you would get. But longings and cravings are present in your heart right now. What are your eyes fixed upon? Your treasure is what you fix your eye upon. And whatever you fixate your eye upon, that becomes your master. What is your master? Let's ask that question. What is your master? Better, better yet, who is your master? This is a question of slavery. This is a question of slavery. Who are you enslaved to? Who is your boss? Who is your master? What paycheck are you looking for? Jesus says in verse 24, he says that no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You'll inevitably hate or despise the one and you'll be devoted to or love the other. Not just. It's not just that we need to examine who our master is, but, but the reality is that Jesus is saying that we need to choose who our master is. We need to choose who our boss is. We need to choose who we're serving, who we're working for. We must choose who we will hate or despise. We must choose who we will love and be devoted to. And think about Joshua. There's another story of Joshua. Old Testament. Love the story of Joshua. God comes down, talks to him, is like, you know what? Just be courageous. I'm with you. Be courageous. Do not fear. I am with you. Says it multiple times. At some point, Joshua is speaking to the people. And it just basically says, Choose you this day whom you will serve. The message that God had given Joshua to speak to the people were simply choose between earthly things, earthly desires, and God. And what he desires for you. Choose between those. Choose you this day. You must choose today who you will serve. 
No one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. You'll inevitably hate and despise or love and be devoted to the other. So Jesus, Jesus is challenging us in this passage. He's speaking to every one of us within earshot of this text today. He's speaking to us about choosing. Choose whom we will hate and despise. Choose whom we will love and be devoted to. I want to be a person like Joshua who says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what I want. That's what I want for you guys. Anyone hearing this, I I want God to just speak to you in these moments to a place where he breaks off the the old parts of the heart that are rotten and shabby and hard and like soften and implant new gospel roots so that from this point forward, you will have this message. You will say, as for me and my house, not just me, but me and my house, we will serve the Lord from this point forward. We'll no longer serve earthly things, no longer serve self, no longer serve uh, those things which God calls rotten and wrong. We will from this point forward treasure and serve and keep our eyes focused on Christ and Christ alone because He hung on that cross and died broken body, shed blood, brutally murdered for you and I so that we could then make that choice as He sovereignly chooses you and speaks to you and your heart comes to life at that point you are enabled to have new desires is no longer desiring the things of your old life, but you desire things of the new life, which is to treasure and to focus your life upon Him. He now, from this point forward, becomes your master. It's like you're enslaved to Him. Right? No longer enslaved to those old rotten things. Why? Why would anybody want to be enslaved to somebody you can't see who's sitting way up there in heaven? Right? He came to give you the best life that you've always wanted. All your longings, all your desires, everything you could ever pursue on this earth are just a small foretaste of the goodness that you find in God. <coughs> As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that your statement. Man, I just I want to stop and pause in my notes and I just want to say like there are some of you it just gives me great joy to say there man there's some of you I'm watching you, I'm walking with you, I'm talking with you. I know. I get I, I'm with you. This, this this topic is a struggle. This is hard. I'm watching some of you wrestle through like the real deep pieces of this and you're just at some point you're just like, man, God, I don't know what the heck I'm doing. So I just and I'm just I'm seeing change. I'm seeing just be encouraged. It's a slow process. It's happening. God's doing that work. He's making it evident and obvious in you as he changes your desires from the old things that can be destroyed and ruined and stolen. As as Satan seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and as he prowls around like a roaring lion, and the scriptures tell us to be aware of the way that Satan comes after us, but yet at the same time rest in the providence of our God and the cross of Christ. Rest in that, and as he speaks to you through the power of the Spirit, I'm seeing change happen like radically in many of you and it's just deep encouragement for me as a pastor and as a friend and as a brother to you guys so thank you for letting me join that journey with you guys this is just good this reminds me again of a story from when i was younger 
Whenever I tell my story of how God reached down, sovereignly saved me that day in the middle of the street after being hit by a 4x4 truck that was going 50, I was on a motorcycle. I always tell people about my seven children, love to brag on my kids, love to brag on my wife because I think she's awesome and she loves me so much and she's so cool. Love to brag on my kids, um, six daughters that are pretty, pretty awesome um, and I protect them. I'm not ashamed to say I protect them by all means necessary. <laughs> Somebody clap. <laughs> I love my seven kids. Whenever I get to our second oldest daughter, though, whenever I get to our second oldest daughter, whenever I'm preaching at camps or other churches or other places, I always know, and Harley's told me a number of times, she's like, I'm always like on the edge of the seat waiting for you to say it because I know you're going to say this. And I'm telling my story, I always talked about a season of my life when she was born. There were two things that I loved the most. Harley Davidson motorcycles and myself. So we named her Harley Joe. As funny as that is, um, and I think as much as for me as that's a heart piece of like who I am and part of my story, I think about the times I get to share that. And I think about that season of my life because the reality of that season of my life is it's not just that I love motorcycles, I love myself. Yes, absolutely. But the deeper truth is that I actually trusted in material wealth and earthly possessions like motorcycles, four-wheel drive trucks, guns, all those things to be the source of my joy. Think of source, source like where does the water in your hose come from, right? There's a source for that. And if the place at that water that comes out of your hose or your faucet, if that source is rotten and nasty, you ain't going to want to drink that water, right? It's nasty. So you need to get to the source and try to fix that. And for me, I thought that the source of my joy would come from me or the things that I own. But here's the reality. There's no way that I could ever experience true, lasting joy. It would never last. I'm broken. If I was trusting in myself to be the source of that joy and that hope, I'm broken. That joy would be destroyed. If I was trusting in those motorcycles and those big four-wheel drive trucks, let me tell you, you know how many times those stupid trucks broke down? I tell you stories. <coughs> every time something like that would happen, every time I hoped in my abilities, every time I made myself into my own God, every time I began to serve myself as the master of me, every time I served inanimate objects to serve the boss of me, the boss of me, which was me, my master at that time made money and material wealth. Every time I served those things and they broke yet again, I would find that my joy was hopeless. My happiness was hopeless. There was nothing there because I'm broken and it's broken and we're all headed towards a certain kind of destruction, so to speak. Like some of us either it's going to be moving from this place to a life of eternal life or a life of eternal destruction whereby we just continue the same patterns we lived out here on this earth. Notice again what Jesus says about the master we serve. He says you cannot serve God and money. You can't serve both. You can only serve one or the other. And each of them will continually be opposed to each other if you're trying to serve them both. He actually uses the word mammon in, in some translations of the text. That, that word mammon is another word for trusted wealth. 
What Jesus is saying is that you cannot be enslaved to money and serve God. You cannot be trusting in money and trusting in God. If money and material wealth is what you love and are devoted to, then you will hate and despise God. Do you hate and despise God? Do you hate Him? Do you despise Him in the way that you live your life? Deep down inside, have you loved and been devoted to money? Rather than God, thereby you are now living a life that hates Him and despises Him. Do you hate and despise the God who sent His Son, Jesus, so that you could rest in the hope of new life? Do you hate God? Who's your master? Do you despise God? Is God to you maybe like a cruel taskmaster? Is that the picture you have implanted in your head? Do you see Him as a cruel taskmaster? It's your picture of God like the dad whom you could never please. Do you deceptively believe that maybe God is just an angry person who wants to keep everything that you ever wanted from you? My hope as I wrap this up is to paint a different picture of God for you. My hope is that all throughout this message we've somehow painted a different picture of God, a fresh perspective of who God is. My hope is that God through His Spirit would, would implant a new picture of who He is, a picture of a loving God who is a great Father who went to the ends of the earth. The Scriptures say in Psalms 103 that as high as the heavens are above the earth and as far as the east is from the west, that's how far He's cast His sins from us. That's how far He's cast our sins from us. How far is the east is from the west? How high are the heavens above the earth? That's a long, stinking way. A lot further than you and I can ever comprehend. And the reality is He has cast them that far if you're trusting Him because He loves you and He went to the ends of the earth to save you. He went to the ends of the earth to spend Himself on your behalf so that you could gain everything of eternal value, not of earthly value because it will fade away. The hope and the joy that you have in Christ is eternal. It will never fade. He spent Himself on your behalf so that you could gain eternal value in the cross of His Son Jesus who sacrificed Himself. He, he emptied the bank account for you. He ran up the debit card. He totally maxed the credit card. He handed the slave master a wad of cash for you in the form of His death so that you and I could be set free from the bondage of slavery to the idolatry of this age that we live in which loves money. Did all this so he could show you how much he treasured you because he had his eye focused upon you. Therefore, his master, Father in heaven, sent him on behalf of you and I so that we could then learn this single principle. Your treasure is what you fix your eye upon and what your eye is fixed upon becomes your master. Who is your master? Are you devoted to God? Whose endless devotion to you is captured in the picture of the cross of Christ. Do you love Christ with all your soul? Is Jesus your master? Bow with me and let's pray as our music team comes forward to close us out. Father, thank you for, thank you for this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the picture, Lord God, of how you have, have treasured us. 
to the extent that you would give your son on our behalf, to the extent that your son's body would be broken and bruised and bloodied and beaten and utterly destroyed, that your blood would flow. Thank you for loving us to that extent and treasuring us to that extent that you had your eye focused upon us from before the foundations of the world, before you created all of the things in which we place our hope in, you thought of us so that we could place our hope in you. Thank you for treasuring us. Thank you for placing your eye upon us. Though we were but sinful and living in hatred towards you, thank you for giving yourself on our behalf. Thank you for doing this so that we could then come to a place where we have the opportunity to call you our master, our God, the one whom we serve. Thank you for serving us so well in the message of the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. As we wrap up in worship tonight, there will be a few people down front to serve communion to you. There will be a few of us that are here that would love to pray with you. If you have any needs, any questions, we would like to pray with you. There will be somebody over here. There will be somebody over here. We'd love to pray with you for any needs. We'd love to invite you to engage in communion with us. We do this because it's a way of us remembering the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus on our behalf. This is something that Christians do together. If you're with us and you don't claim the love of Christ, don't claim to believe in Christ, do not engage in this simply because it's meaningless and we don't want you to do meaningless things. We're totally cool with you being here. Love the fact that you're here. In fact, love to pray with you if that's you. But if you're here and you believe in Jesus, you don't have to be a member of the church, but we do ask that you believe in Christ and have trusted in Him to save you and the penalty of our sin. And if that's you, then you come in a moment. As you come, be thinking. What you treasure is what you place your eye upon, and what you place your eye upon is what becomes your master. My prayer for you as you come is that that's Jesus, and that you're reminded to treasure Him, focus your eye upon Him, and see Him as your daddy who loves you and is the master and the king and the Lord of your life. Thanks for letting me preach. I love you guys. Stand with me. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.